The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Well, it is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 701 on this Monday night. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on 89.7 FM and WVFS.FSU.edu, The Voice of Florida State, our weekly sports power hour on The Voice of Florida State. William Haynes here with Jackson Bakich, our co-host and our two panelists to my right, our producer Jack Oliaro peeking in from behind the glass. And it is an exciting time. Uh, the the first weekend of the NFL uh, was, was this Sunday, college football week two now as we're really into the season and some major upsets and things. So lots of, lots of good topics to discuss on the pigskin side of things. And just in case you forgot, I mean, FSU was off this past week. They'll be in Louisville, Kentucky this Friday night taking on the Cardinals at 1-1, one and one. and with that, we will have at around 7-10, Spencer Laws, uh, the, the sports editor of the Louisville Cardinal, which is the uh, the the student newspaper there, so kind of like we had Peter Rodericus of the uh, the LSU student paper a couple weeks ago, it'll be the same deal, we'll ask him some questions about his Cardinal team and uh, preview that game, but without further ado, Jackson Bakich, our co-host, you had a fun weekend, you went to a, a, a couple of football games, how are you doing? Well, first of all, before I say anything, I want to say thank you for saying Louisville and not Louisville. I really do appreciate it. Uh, people all around the South, you know, below the Mason-Dixon line are thanking you right now. And uh, I myself, once again, thank you. But I'm doing great. You know, if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And uh, this weekend was interesting. It was very interesting. You know, I... I saw, I, I got both of those games wrong. I predicted that UCF, by the way, I went to the UCF game on Friday night against Louisville. Uh, I thought it'd be good to, you know, kind of see Louisville in person before Florida State uh, goes up to the Commonwealth. Um, so Louisville gets the win 20-14. to 14. UCF doesn't score in the second half. They came out really flat in the second half. Uh, Gus Mazan does not like to go away from that play, but we can get more into that. Um, and then I went to the, the UF game against Kentucky. Uh, I have some family connections to the state of Kentucky, uh, as some of our listeners and some of uh, our friends here at V89 know. Um, and so I predicted Florida was going to win that game 34-23. to I was wrong. Very wrong. Kentucky came to play. They did. They came to play. Their defense looked spectacular. Uh, Anthony Richardson did not have the best game. I was very high on him. Uh, he threw the ball very well against Utah. He did not throw the ball well against Kentucky, and that really is what it came down to. A couple of tough interceptions, including a pick six on a play where maybe he read the wrong route. Uh, but, but yeah, as you said, we'll, we'll talk about that later. So a couple of great games. I mean, anytime you get a double dip on a Friday and Saturday and FSU is off, that's always uh, a good sign. I myself, I, um, I, I'm i doing a little bit better than, than probably Chris Collinsworth was doing last night, if anyone watched that Sunday Night Football broadcast. But whatever bug uh, came home from, from New Orleans back to Tallahassee uh, has got a, a pretty good hold on me. And I know, I mean, all four uh, people here in the studio were in New Orleans, so I know we're all probably still feeling it even uh, a couple of weeks uh, out of that. But yeah, Everybody's um, kind of got the same thing. Not really any bad uh, symptoms other than this lingering cough. It just, it, and it's a, I don't know what it is, but everybody's been coughing all over class, and uh, if you're listening in Tallahassee, we hope you uh, stay safe and uh, stay healthy. Yeah, we'll try and keep the, the coughing and whatnot to a minimum on the air tonight, but the two panelists to my right, we'll start with, with Ian Hughes. Ian, you were also in New Orleans. This is the first time we've gotten to talk to you for a while uh, on the show. You were actually with Jackson and, and some of his pals down in the bayou, so so how was that, and how are you doing, and, and thanks for coming back on the show. It's good to have you. Oh, well, thanks for having me again. It's been a while. Um, I had a lot of fun in New Orleans. The atmosphere was electric for the most part, you know, um, especially after the win. You know, Bourbon Street at night is pretty cool, even if we didn't get too crazy you know we had a good time um and yeah i do still have that lingering cough too it seems that literally everybody that we know that went there has got this stupid thing yeah it's it's one of those as jackson was saying it's just lingering won't go away but hopefully maybe by next week and another fsu win well i'll be feeling uh, just a little bit better and rounding out the panel and, uh, and our crew for tonight's show ethan salzberg it's also been a while ethan since we've talked to you you were also in new orleans but you're you're a busy man you're here with us at the radio station we i know you do some writing for the fs view seminoles.com i saw on your Twitter, you did a hit for SiriusXM, one of their shows, I think, to preview that, that New Orleans game. So, so tell us about some of that, and, and it's good to have you back in. How are you, Ethan? 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been busy. You know, I've uh, interned with Seminoles.com over there, doing features, um, kind of doing some player previews so far, and um, writing for the FSU, um, some weekly articles going over there. Um, wrote one on the atmosphere in NOLA and kind of some of the three-headed monsters Florida State's dealing with. So that's been a great time kind of getting involved and getting a better uh, feeling for the sports realm around here. And, I mean, going off of how New Orleans was, I mean, it was great, the block in the bayou, right? That's right. You're, you're there for one of the – what could be biggest turning points in program history, right? You know, Mike Norvell's signature win we've kind of been waiting for this year, kind of. So it's exciting to see where the program's going to go and definitely an exciting season here in Tallahassee. We certainly do hope that that's going to be the turning point. We talked about that last week on how much that meant, but uh, a chance to go 3-0 and on a Friday night game this week. And again, Jack Oliaro, our producer behind the glass, he'll have seminal segment for us at about 7.30. And he also helped me uh, pick out some stats for, for the show tonight. So always a, a thank you to him. Uh, we don't have a line open now because we'll have um, our, our, our man Spencer Laws of, of Louisville calling in. But after he's done and you want to call to talk about the Knowles College Football NFL, 850-644-1837. You can also tweet us your thoughts. Maybe we'll read it on the air at V89 Sports. Uh, that, that's also the handle for Instagram. We've got tons of great content on social media, so make sure to follow us there for that. But we got about three minutes until Spencer Laws calls in, so let, let's kind of set the stage for this this FSU-Louisville game. Uh, the Knowles, they're coming off the bye by Friday. It'll be 12 days since the win over LSU, 24-23. The depth chart is going to stay about the same. Offensive lineman Bless Harris is out for the year. That's announced, but the starting five uh, on the offensive line will stay the same. Looks like it'll be Dimitri Emanuel again at right guard, who didn't impress me much, but Darius Washington could come in as the backup, and then Jazz Turntine uh, at right tackle rounding it out. The only other thing of note, I thought, it's still Malik McLean or Johnny Wilson at the X wide receiver position. I would say maybe Johnny Wilson has separated himself a little more, but uh, we'll see on Friday's game uh, as to how that shakes out. Uh, as far as the line and everything, Louisville opened as a one-point favorite. That, that line immediately moved the other way. FSU is now favored by two points. 93% of the public has FSU minus two, according to ESPN, and their football power index gives FSU a 55% chance to win. Looking at Coach Mike Norvell and his history against Louisville, only two games under his belt against the Cardinals. He's 0-2. It was 31-23 last year. Uh, the Cardinals jumped out to a 31-7 lead and then maybe took their foot off the gap in Doak Campbell Stadium, and then in 2020, in year zero, as people are calling it, a blowout score of 48-16. to Travis only played in the 2020 game. It was Mackenzie Milton last year. In that, that game, he went 14-32, 141 yards, a touchdown, a pick, and also ran for about a 50 yards and a touch on the ground, but not a great performance for him against yeah. his old team. That was that game in 2020. I was at that game. I was working for the team at that point. Uh, that was a game where Florida State fans – Probably remember that's where Florida, where excuse me, where Travis uh, dribbled the football and ran it in for a touchdown. Uh, that game started off. Louisville went down the field. They scored. Florida State came back and answered. Um, so, and that was right after the UNC game. I know a lot of people were betting heavy on Florida State because I think they were probably ten or twelve point underdogs going into that game. Uh, but that was a very flat performance in uh, Cardinal Stadium. I don't know if it was Papa John's at that point. Probably not. But. Uh, We'll see how, how Florida State responds. I don't think they'll come out flat uh, like they did in 2020. It was also uh, very cold that day mm. uh, in in at least the 40s, maybe even the 30s, and it was a noon game too, So this, and it was overcast. The sun hadn't even come out yet. So uh, expect Florida State, in my opinion, to have a much better response compared to two years ago. Yeah, it'll be a big game environment, the first true road game of the season. It's also the first home game of the season for Louisville. So, uh, you know, about 60,000 probably packed into what is now Cardinal Stadium. Uh, but for Louisville, they're 1-1 one one on the year. They got blown out in Syracuse, 31-7 to in Week 1, and then bounced back, as we talked about earlier, 20-14 to uh, in the bounce house in Orlando against Central Florida. The Gus Bus not able to get it done uh, against Louisville there in the late stages. Malik Cunningham uh, in his senior year at quarterback. Uh, their head coach, Scott Satterfield, in year four. He's now 19-20 and 20, um, as, as Louisville head coach. And uh, we got the phone ringing here. Let's go ahead and, and pick that up. And now we have on the line Spencer Laws. He's the sports editor of the Louisville Cardinal. This is William with Jackson, Ian, and Ethan on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, so, Spencer, how are you doing? Good, guys. Thanks for having me today. 
Absolutely, absolutely glad to have you on the show. I got a couple of little silly questions here for you, and then we'll, we'll get down to business. Last week on this very program, when I introduced the game, I said Louisville. That, that was my pronunciation of the, of the school. That's typically how I've heard broadcasters say it. it's how I got used to it. But my co-host Jackson, who's you know as, as from the South as one could be, he gets on to my case. It's Louisville. He can't say it like Louisville. So my question to you, someone who's, who's in the campus, boots on the ground, how do people feel about Louisville? Is it accepted or does it have to be Louisville? It's Louisville, man. Okay. Um, no, I'm just, all jokes aside, but yeah, no, it really is Louisville. Um, I, I hear it all the time. People, Louisville, Louisville, all that. You know, we we got a couple names that we go by, I guess, but it's different by every announcer and whoever's talking. All right. Well, just for you, Spencer, I'll, I'll keep it at Louisville for the rest of the program. Thanks, man. Um, I appreciate it. And the other, the other question I had for you, I don't know if you saw this, but FSU unveiling their new all-white uniforms for the first time, white helmets and everything. Um, as a, as a Louisville person, you know, cover the team. Does it feel a little bit like FSU is ripping the Cardinals off? I mean, I know they had that all white look a week ago. Yeah, it, I kind of thought that when I saw it. I, I forget I saw it on Twitter or whatever when they let them out. Um, they, it looks a little like ours. Um, the all white looks good anywhere, though. So I mean, we can't coin the all white for just Louisville and all, but you know, do what you want to do. Do you know uh, what what uniform the Cardinals are going to have on Friday? Is it going to be the all black, the the all reds? Do they have the announcement yet? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, it might be red tops, um, red helmet, black pants. The chrome helmets for y'all, they do look great. I have to I have to give it to y'all. Great chrome helmets. Yeah, those are those are sweet. Um, it's kind of sad thing. He kind of likes that in the sense like we got rid of the the yellow, the cardinal bird and stuff. But I mean, it looks good. So what, what can you say about it? I also have a question for you, Spencer. Do Cardinals have teeth? Uh, we got a beak. Fair enough. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. I, I think I think we're all black this weekend, guys. I think we're all black. That's an interesting matchup: all white versus all black. That'll be uh, that'll be a, a sight to see. So now, now all all jokes aside, uh, tell us about Louisville season so far. They got blown out in Syracuse, and I think the Orange are. are um, doing better than people thought, but that's still not a great look. Thirty-one to seven, and then uh, they were able to bounce back with a uh, with a win in the bounce house in Orlando against UCF. They're one and one so far. Yeah, I, I don't know like where we're at honestly because you look at you know we we laid an egg in the first game, um, didn't really show a whole lot of bright sides on uh, on our you know any side of the ball. Uh, Tyon Evans was really kind of the main main spotlight of that. You know, he showed he, he had a good run there and can can kind of be an, an all-you-want-to-do back. Um, but other than that, I mean, we the, the fan base was let down, and we were kind of thinking, here we go again. We got another season that's going to be a thumper, and it's going to be a long one. And then, um, you know, I, I really didn't want to watch the game on Friday. And then uh, I had some friends, you know, say, come on, let's, let's get together, let's watch it. And I was like, all right, you know, we can't, can't get too much worse. And then we watch it, and, you know, the offense comes out firing right away. You know, we go down the field and have a 10 – Ten play drive and, and tuck it away, and then uh, we kind of see what the same things that happened at Syracuse with the defense in that first half. Um, you know, UCF had like all they wanted against us in the run game and everything else, and they they tapped into that run game very early in the goal line. I mean, that's how they went wildcat back to back to get their touchdowns, and then uh, we came out in the second half and kind of flipped everything around, and we had I think ten consecutive stops on the defensive side of the ball and to shut them out, um, which was huge. Um, it it kind of shows that our defense can play and then our offense did what they want to do. It, it's going to be – if we can hold teams to 14 points, you know, you're going to have a good chance at any ball game this season. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of the circumstances that we had. So, huge win for Stad, I think. Um, having him go into the bounce house, you know, he's very much on the hot seat, still is. But to go into the bounce house and, you know, shut him out in the second half and put them away is huge for him. And the team, of course. So we still don't know where we're at. You know, we don't know what we're looking at here. This will be a, a must win for us in a lot of senses of like where we're going forward. Because after after you all and UCF, that's when we we start our or USF, excuse me, we start our ACC play, and, and you know it doesn't get any any easier from there. Yeah, that's very true. You bring that point up about shutting up, uh, excuse me, shutting down UCF in the second half. UCF is historically. I'm from Central Florida, by the way. Uh, and the reason I was giving William a hard time is because I have a mom, not a mom, I have, my mom is from Louisville, so, or Kentucky, she, she hates Louisville, she actually went to, to UK, but, uh, so, 
Anyway, the reason I, I bring it up, UCF is historically a good team. Uh, they usually win against the spread. They usually score a lot of points. Uh, they're usually a good team to bet the over on. Uh, if you know, you're know you into that sort of thing, we don't condone sports betting here at WVFS. Uh, but that's a great point. Louisville completely shut down UCF. They were completely, completely flat in the second half. Uh, Satterfield made a lot of good adjustments um, in that second half. But the, the main question I have for you is, UCF had a spy the whole night against Cunningham, but they still weren't able to, to contain him at all. Uh, do you think there's any chance that Florida State will be able to do that come Friday? Yeah, I, I kind of thought about that looking back. Um, and I went back and looked at the LSU game. And Jaden Daniels had, I mean, just, I mean, was it like 120 yards rushing, maybe more than that? I mean, he had all he wanted there, too. Which obviously, the teams and stuff are different. But it's going to be hard to contain Malik um, on that run game. And I think the more attention you pay to his run game, that will hopefully open up uh, the passing game a lot more for us, too, of course. But um, Malik's not been struggling there, but in a lot of senses, he hasn't had the the start of the year that we thought he would in the, mm-hmm. in the passing game. Um, so I, I don't know on either way between between those two things, but hopefully you get one going and, and then they can shut down the other. And either way, if you get both going, it's a good formula, of course. I agree. Florida State will have to load the box. They will have to do something and force Malik Cunningham to throw the ball. Uh, I will say, though, you got to give Florida State the benefit of, of the doubt in that LSU game. Jane Daniels is not necessarily known as a great runner going into that game, and he just was electric. I mean, he was, I think they clocked him at, what, 21 miles an hour at one point. He was fast, uh, Jane Daniels was. But uh, score prediction, you got one for this Louisville game. I, I, like, I think you all are in the same sense of what we are. We, like, we don't know how good our teams are yet. Um, so I, I can't really give you any – I hope it's going to be close. You know, I'm thinking it's going to be, you know – 21, 21. I don't know. We could see overtime very easily. Um, I, I don't know, guys. Uh, it, it could go any which way. You know, this could be a shootout. We could be having a barn burner here in Louisville, or we could, you know, be 14 14 going into two minutes left. It's got to be huge for, for Louisville to get it to, to get a home game, right? The first home game of the year on a Friday night, blackout, probably 60,000 strong at Cardinal Stadium. How do you think that's going to play in, into the game and, and maybe give that, that Cardinal team a, a little extra boost than what they've had the first couple of weeks? We, we hit it good right here because, like I said before, like after that Syracuse game, like campus was like sad and like talking to like family and friends and stuff. It's just like – not what we wanted, and I'm not going to say we look past Syracuse, but you know we've been we've been giving it to Syracuse the past I don't know how many years, and they came out and shocked us, punched us in the mouth, and we didn't really have anything for them. So to come back and went to bounce house last week, we're re-energized and ready to go. Um, and like Florida State's been been a good ACC rival here since we joined, and it's these these matches have been fun. So I think it's going to be a, a very good environment. It's going to be fun to see around. The student body is ready to go, um, ready to have a home game. And you can kind of feel the energy picking up. I mean, it's just Monday today, but just hearing people talk about the game on Friday and, like, the energy, like, you know, Friday afternoon, you know, I don't think a lot of people are going to be going to class if they have class, but it, it's going to be a, uh, a place to be for sure. The Louisville defense, they're giving up so far through two games about five and a half yards per carry on the ground. FSU is a team that loves to run the ball, particularly up the middle. That seemed, <clears throat> excuse me, something that, that UCF had success with a week ago. Uh, do you see that as maybe being the potential breaking point of this game if FSU is able to execute that? FSU, yeah, they have to go out that right away. That is our biggest weakness is stopping the run. Um, but we did, like, we did get it done um, in the second half of UCF. Like, they had to throw the ball in some points, and I think obviously they're working against clock and other uh, – other circumstances but yeah if they can get that rolling um i don't know i don't know where we'll be able to i mean if our offense can keep up but it's going to be hard to beat teams if they can get five yards off a carry every uh every rush so yeah no no doubt about that now i want to ask you about uh some guys with some fsu and louisville connections how have you enjoyed the the jarvis brownlee experience so far he had a tumultuous time at fsu i know he had a, a big pass breakup and uh he was uh getting into it with i guess that ucf crowd last week uh, how has he been at, at the starting quarterback position so far yeah you look at it i mean we we basically traded you all for greedy vance yeah um i mean we we literally just flipped 
um, on that. But yeah, Jarvis Brown. He, I seemed like he kind of like was. I mean, we all were struggling, or not we, but like they were struggling tackling, tackling left and right in the Syracuse game. So you can't really. I mean, that was a wash for the whole team. But you know, he came out and had a big second half against UCF. He had the interception. I mean, somewhat to, steal, to take the ball back over, and we just had to run the clock out and had another uh, pass break up there. So two things um, that he's going to have to keep doing to perform and help this defense in the passing uh, and like you know passing game. And then on the other sideline, there's three former Louisville players returning to Cardinal Stadium. Jordan Travis, the quarterback, who didn't spend much time there, but he did begin his career there. And then also Jarrett Jackson and Greedy Vance. What are your memories of these players, and, and how does it feel to have them going against your squad this week? Well, um, when Jordan committed, that was like a that was really exciting for the for the fan base and the city and everything because you know he was he was pretty touted, highly touted in his, in his I mean his rushing and his passing game. Um, and then he, he him and Jarrett kind of got into the dumpster fire that was Louisville football in 2018. Um, I mean, they were – I mean, it was fun to have him. Jarrett was on track to be, you know, one of our – I mean, I think he was leading – tied for leading uh, the defense in sacks that year. Um, he let, I think he had a couple games where he led in tackles and stuff. Um, he was – they were both in Bobby's last class here. So those, those are two guys definitely that we – I mean – would we want him back? I, we could definitely use Jarrett now, and I like Malik, but Jordan Jordan's a good player. Um, but I looked. I mean, the last time Jordan came to Cardinal Stadium back in 2020, he didn't have a uh, a very good performance. So let's see if uh, he can he can outright that or what. Yeah, you know he's going to be looking at to to put a put a good game up on the board. Last question I've got for you, Spencer. Strategy you expect Louisville to employ on, on both sides of the ball, and maybe a couple players uh, on your team to to look for. Um, I mean, we talked about it already. The defense has to stop the run. Um, if you give up a couple long passes and stuff, I, I would rather see, you know, a 40-yard, you know, heck of a catch than us getting our mouths ran over by uh, your all's backs and stuff every other play. Um, so that for the defense to stop the run and be able to tackle in the open field is probably two of the biggest things on that side of the ball. Um, and see, Brian Brown and kind of can come prepared. That's another thing that, like, we kind of – you know, kind of shake our heads at every time. You know, these games that Louisville has the most time to repair under Satterfield, he kind of comes out flat-footed. And, I mean, the team comes out flat-footed in a lot of senses of where we show up. And that was Syracuse last year for our bowl game against Air Force. And, I mean, you can throw in another couple more games in there too. But uh, on the offense, Malik's got to get it going. Um, they said after after UCF that, like, we're going to have to ride him, um, Sat said. And that's, that's – I mean, that's it. Um, he's our guy. Um, we kind of don't know who our wide receiver one is yet. Marshawn Ford, who's you know was our leading receiving um, tight end last year or halfback, whatever you want to call it, was uh, he he dropped a couple passes he should have caught last week. So we'll see how he comes out and performs. He's he's our uh, our experienced leadership guy. Um, but like yeah, we still don't have a wide receiver one. Uh, Mario Hogan Bruce had a big week last week. Tyler Hudson caught a big pass, and then. Um, D. Wiggins is another transfer that is still he's here to perform, and you know they're all going to show you the, the the catches and stuff. So, but we'll see who can kind of come through on that side of the ball. All right, well, Spencer Laws of the Louisville Cardinal, thanks so much for the time. It was great talking with you about your squad, and I, I know we're both really looking forward to this game on Friday. It'll it'll be a, that's a huge game for for both teams. So thank thanks again for coming on. Hey, thanks guys. You have a great rest of your night. All right, you too. And there he goes, Spencer Laws again. Thank you so much of the Louisville Cardinal, the sports editor of the uh, the student paper. It was great to talk to him and, and get some insight from him. But, guys, now we'll have our uh, official predictions. Jackson, we'll start with you now that we've got a little bit of an inside look. What's your view? What's your outlook on this game? And uh, I guess we'll go ahead and do some score predictions too. Well, we know that Florida State likes to run the ball. I think they will be able to have the ball uh, for a majority of the time. I'm feeling a, a 37 time of possession compared to a 23 somewhere around that well maybe not that much I'm gonna go I'm gonna go 34 uh, in terms of time of possession for Florida State uh, I think they're gonna have success running the ball yeah um really do UCF uh, was able to run the ball pretty well Isaiah Bowser had a, had a pretty solid game I don't have the stats in front of me but yeah yeah at least a touchdown or two and uh, ran the ball decently efficiently um, so final prediction I'm going Florida State 33 and Louisville 
23. All right, I like it. Now let's turn it over. Uh, Ethan, we'll start with you on the panel side. Yeah, I was like, I mean, I think Florida State is uh, definitely going to win this football game. I think our biggest task at hand is obviously Willie Cunningham, containing him in the pocket and making sure he doesn't escape and create those extra opportunities for himself. But overall, I think Florida State is finds a way to get this uh, game in the dub column. And uh, I'm going to go 31-23 Knowles. Um, this feels kind of like a continuation of sorts of the LSU game in that the quarterback is a very mobile quarterback who I see having success on the ground against us like Jaden Daniels did. But then again, like F- uh, LSU, their run defense was supposed to be, you know, kind of the bastion of their defense against us, and we still did pretty well on the ground. This is like... It's like LSU, but downgraded a little bit. So I think that we're going to have a lot of success, you know, if we can force Malik Cunningham into pure passing situations, which obviously is going to be the the goal on defense. We're going to have a lot of success. Um, you got, everybody seems to be picking 23 points for Louisville to score. I was going to do that too. Um, <laughs> so I'll stick with it and we'll make it a clean sweep. Uh, 30 to 23 FSU. I, I see it uh, so, somewhat along... Uh, the same lines. My, my final score prediction is 35-24. I, I'm in agreement with, with basically everything you guys have been saying. I think the running game is huge. I set the stage for it with Spencer. I mean, Louisville through two games, giving up you know five and a half yards per carry on the ground. You know FSU really, really wants to take advantage of that. I think you're going to see some 10, 12, 15-yard runs early start to tire out that defense. Maybe get some play-action stuff going. And, and Jackson, one thing that you mentioned uh, FSU dominating time of possession. Both games this year, FSU has outpossessed the the opposing team by ten minutes yeah. in both games. Yeah, that, it's not surprising with how much they like to run the ball. And uh, also, you see, you see Florida State. I think they were well above fifty percent on third down conversions um, against LSU. So w- when that happens, that when you have that mixture of both converting on third down and being a run heavy team, you're gonna have the ball for a long time. And uh, if you kind of follow it like a soccer philosophy, the more time you have the ball is less amount of time the other team has to score. I mean, that's just basic, uh, basic logic. Um, so we, I think we're all pretty safe in saying that Florida State is going to have a decent time running the ball. What really this game is going to come down to, we said, we said a couple weeks ago it was going to be LSU in the trenches. What this is going to come down to is uh, Florida State's linebacker play. How are they going to contain... Malik Cunningham. That is the epitome of the game. That is what this entire game is going to be centered around. So uh, it's really going to come down to that. Can Florida State contain Malik Cunningham? This is Malik Cunningham's fourth game against Florida State in his Louisville career. He's now a senior um, versus FSU. He's 2-1. and one. He averages 310 total yards per game, so that's passing and rushing. In those three games combined, nine touchdowns combined, only one interception. I mean, we, we talked about Jordan Travis not having so much success against Louisville, but on the flip side, Malik Cunningham has owned the Knowles. Uh, maybe maybe the counter that to that that you would say in 2020, it was year zero for Mike Norvell. And then I think that game last year where, where Louisville jumped out to a 31-7 to advantage, I think that was just uh, not maybe an anomaly is the wrong phrase to use, but sometimes you just lay an egg in the first quarter and you can't come back from it. I, I don't know that that's super indicative of – of what this is going to be. I think FSU is going to probably take a lead early and sit on it. And I'm sure FSU fans remember last year. Everybody says that second half of that Louisville game was the turning point of the season. Yeah. Uh, that game, even though it was it was a loss, it gave Florida State fans a reason for hope, and it gave them uh, a chance to, to get to a bowl game. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to put this out there. Yeah, Jaden Daniels, uh, the, the quarterback for LSU in, in FSU's last game, he was 16 carries, 114 yards on the ground. Hopefully, uh, they were able. FSU was able to look and film study, and, and Adam Fuller and company that the, the defensive staff on the coaching side is able to, to put together a better game plan on that side of the ball to stop the running quarterback. Because I think really Louisville's success, they're gonna have to stop the run, and Malik Cunningham is gonna be up to, to to change the game with his feet. So those are the two keys for the Knowles. So we gave you the score predictions. We talked to someone from the inside for Louisville. Uh, with that being said, it's halftime. So we got Jack Oliaro, our producer. With Seminole segment, Jack, take it away. Hey, what's good, everyone? I am Jack Liaro, the guy who does the Seminole segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics. 
So, before we get into that, I'd like to speak my abbreviated truth as I am subject to sitting behind the glass, a room away from all the beautiful crew and Jackson. So without further ado, I think Florida State will fall at Cardinal Stadium this Friday in a tight 27-31 loss that will see Louisville re-announce themselves as a quality outfit in the Atlantic Coast. Malik Cunningham should run a few laps around the Seminoles, just like they allowed LSU's Jane Daniels to run 100 yards plus, and he'll make the right decisions, especially in the intermediate attempts where a weakness at nickel will be uh, plain to see for everybody. Uh, so everywhere I look, I find more optimism and reasons as to why FSU should win on Friday, but I'll be the wet blanket and stick to my gut feeling that they'll lose. Now back to your regularly scheduled segment where we begin at Seminole Soccer Complex, where the Florida State soccer team is dishing out dishing out uh, fevers that you just can't sweat out. The last three games have been a combined score of 15-0. Let that marinate in your brain for a second, then flip it over and let that soak in too, because they had... A huge 5-0 victory, as we all know, over Florida and Gainesville, and looked to carry that success back home against Florida Gulf Coast. At halftime, score of nil-nil, you wouldn't have anticipated the avalanche of five goals that came in the second half. Underclassmen Olivia Garcia, Emma Bissell, Olivia Lebedawi each score a goal, along with Claire Robbins' brace, to breeze past the Eagles. On Sunday, they played out in Houston to face Rice. Same stuff, different days, 5-0 again and were led by two braces with 2021's Golden Boot, Beta Olsen, and Portuguese midfielder Maria Alagoa providing four goals, and Oni Echigini providing the late first-half goal. The goal was to dominate in both halves, unlike the game against FGCU, and this was done with two goals in the first and three in the second. So Florida State remains perfect on the year and will begin ACC play this Friday when uh, they travel up to Chestnut Hill for a battle with Boston College. On the court, uh, Florida State Volleyball team competed in Omaha, Nebraska for two games in a two-game stand. Uh, on Thursday, they swept Nebraska-Omaha 3-0. They were each, go- each game was going to the wire, each set rather, with 14 total lead changes in Omaha within five points each time. Uh, Friday saw the Knolls fall just short to 17th-ranked Creighton 2-3. First two games were split one apiece before Creighton took a big third set that went into extras before FSU struck back with their own late fourth set win. The final set was decided by just three points as the Blue Jays eked out and escaped the clutches of defeat. Uh, Florida State fell for only the second time this season and will head to Gainesville for the Sunshine Showdown against the Florida Gators, then following that up with a Saturday home match against UAB. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William and Jackson, do it. Thank you, Jack. Uh, thank you, Jack. Great Seminole Segment there. Updates on, on all things FSU athletics on the uh, stuff other than football. I, I know... A lot of great teams. I wish we had more time to cover it all, but this is a great opportunity to just get a couple of minutes update and uh, <clears throat> keep everyone in the lines. The soccer team is off to a great start with their new head coach, Brian Penske, so uh, everything is good on that side of things. But, guys, lots of good football to talk about still. College football week two in the books. We'll start in Lincoln, Nebraska, where the Huskers, the Cornhuskers, lose to Georgia Southern by a score of 45-42. to 42. It was a shootout. And that's going to be it for Scott Frost. We talked talked about him a couple weeks ago after their uh, heartbreaking loss to Northwestern in, in Ireland. Um, it's going to be a $15 million buyout for Nebraska. They could have uh, cut it down to 7.5 if they had waited until October 1st, but they lose to another uh, non-Power 5 team at home. And so the brass in Nebraska says, no more. Uh, Scott Frost is out of the building. And... I think we can all agree. Everybody wanted to see Scott Frost succeed in Nebraska. I think we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, at least I know I did. I don't want to put any words in anybody's mouth, but uh, I wanted to see him succeed. You know, he was, he was a national champion quarterback at Nebraska. Uh, he left a great UCF job to really work on a passion project uh, that was Nebraska for him, and um, he just couldn't win big games. Or, excuse me, he couldn't win close games. And that's that's he was like five and twenty-two in one-score games, something ridiculous, and they were in a lot of them. Uh, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, I've seen Gus Malzahn's name floated around that job. You know, weirdly enough, I've seen Urban Meyer's name. I've seen uh, Matt Campbell from Iowa State float around. Uh, it would be quite interesting if if UCF and uh, in Nebraska flip coaches like that, because you could definitely see Scott Frost going back to UCF with all the connections he built there. So. Uh, it's an interesting, an interesting situation there in Lincoln. 
It certainly is. And again, if you're you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tomahawk Talk on 89.7 FM, WVFS, Tallahassee, The Voice, William Jackson, Ian Ethan, now in the second half of the show, talking some college football and some NFL later on. And the number to call the show, 850-644-1837. You can also call us about FSU as well if you'd like. Uh, but we gave our predictions earlier. Um, so that's it uh, kind of for Nebraska. It's going to be the associate head coach, Mickey Joseph, taking over <clears throat> Excuse me for the Huskers the rest of the way. They host Oklahoma this week, so maybe a little bit of the, the Basaccia bump, referencing Rich Basaccia, the interim head coach for the Las Vegas Raiders, who took the team to the playoffs. I like that. On an Basaccia bump. you got to trademark that. Dan Hantis so the NFL Network uh. came up with that, so i got to give him credit for that. I wish I could take credit, but I... I uh, my media ethics will not allow me to do so. Uh, so let's get into some real college football that was actually entertaining to people on Saturday. Alabama beat Texas in Austin by a score of 20-19. to 19. This one was a thriller. Quinn Ewers, the mullet man, he looked unstoppable until he got hurt. Uh, pile drived into the ground by an Alabama defender or maybe a couple defenders. He's going to be out four to six weeks with an SC sprain in his left shoulder. The backup quarterback Hudson Card comes in, puts in a valiant performance until he was hobbled on one leg and still running around. Uh, Greg Jennings asked if you've seen that old Madden video. The game opened 10-10. Both both teams scored on their first two drives, and it looked like we were in for a shootout and maybe Alabama was going to really run away with it early if Texas couldn't keep up. Uh, And then in a hurry, the scoring slowed down after that. Uh, Alabama punted on six straight possessions. Texas with the blitzes on third down coming right up the gut, really getting Bryce Young off his spot, missing some throws, making him uncomfortable, which not many teams have been able to do. Uh, Up 17-16, Alabama went for it on fourth and one at the Texas 25 with uh, under four minutes to go when they could have kicked a field goal. That was really the questionable decision to me. Texas goes up 19-17 with a minute 30 left after they kick a field goal. And then Bryce Young with the Heisman drive as they, they get a game-winning field goal of their own. So 20-19 to 19 is the final. Most penalties of the Nick Saban era since 2007, 15 penalties for 100 yards. And then my final note, Texas entered inside the 10-yard line three separate times. And in those three possessions, came away with only six points. So Texas leaving a lot of meat on the bone. They had a chance to, to take down number one at home, and they just couldn't get it done. So Texas back almost. Almost is correct, and, and one of the few teams, I'm sure it's happened before in the past, but uh, one of the few teams to lose and then become ranked, Yeah, um, that's definitely an anomaly. Uh, kind of saw the same thing with, maybe with, with uh, oh, pardon me, I forgot where I was going with that, but um, definitely looking better, definitely looking better under Sark. Um, Steve Sarkeesian. If, the if, they, if they have viewers the whole game, who knows, I'm sure every Texas fan is is uh, losing sleep over that question. Yeah. But uh, certainly a very entertaining game that Saturday. Big noon Saturday. Yeah, I don't know how much more we're going to talk about Texas this year, so I'll just say, I mean, they've got Arch Manning, uh, what is that, Cooper Manning's son and the Peyton and Eli family uh, coming in to play quarterback next year. Quinn Ewers looked great, really small sample size. Looks like they're going to be okay. That defense played, I know it's cliche, but their hair was on fire, guys. The panel, uh, Ian and Ethan, I'll turn to you. Some thoughts on this game. I mean, Alabama looked weak, but they, they came away just enough at the end to, to stay on top. Well, um, I guess that's why Bryce Young won the Heisman last year, right? He's got poise. He uh, he stepped up in the moment, you know. I was rooting against Alabama like I think 95% of the country was, um, and we were bitterly disappointed. But, um, yeah, Texas definitely looks like they're on the right track. I have to admit I was skeptical about Steve Sarkeesian. I did not like him as the Falcons' offensive coordinator. I didn't know how that was going to translate. I know he, you know, went back to Alabama and he did well for himself there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the defense definitely surprised me. They did a great job against Alabama, and I'm looking forward to seeing them succeed for the rest of the season, <laughs> barring the quarterback uh, injuries. Yeah, because I mean, with Hudson Card the ankle, they may be down to their like third string quarterback now. I think they have Oklahoma in a couple weeks, so maybe that'll be uh, the next time that we check in with them. Really, the only other game, the headliner, we talked about it just a tad earlier, but Kentucky. Uh, they're now launched into the top 10 in the AP poll. They beat Florida in the swamp, 26-16. to Anthony Richardson came down to earth, barely outdueled by Will Levis, the uh, everyone loves maybe going in the first round, the quarterback for the Wildcats. 
Each team had an interception behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Anthony Richardson had another pass return for a touchdown. That was maybe the difference maker, depending on how you looked at it. I think that really changed the momentum of uh, the football game. Kentucky trailed 16-7 to right before half, and obviously they rattle off the points, and uh, Florida doesn't score again in the second half at all. Florida went forward on fourth down twice in their own territory, like pretty early in the fourth quarter. Like they had no faith in their defense to get the ball back. So... Um, Jackson, you were there. I guess we'll start with you. Florida, maybe a little bit overinflated. I don't know if Utah deserved to be number seven. They take them down, so they're number 12, and now now they're back all the way down, I think, probably past the 20s. None of that probably even really matters, but um, Kentucky looks really good. I guess we'll start there. Well, I mean, first we we look at Will Levis. To me, I, I wasn't incredibly impressed. He looked like a very, very good game manager, and I hate to put that tag on a quarterback like that, uh, he might be—he might do very well in the NFL, for all I know, because he uh, didn't make a whole lot of bad mistakes. He was smart with the ball, um, you know. It, like I said, but I wasn't, you know, beyond impressed. I still think Anthony Richardson has a higher ceiling, uh, but to me, Anthony Richardson, what the game came down to was just he was inaccurate. We were talking—we talked about the pick six. I—I I didn't have a great view of the—I mean, I, I saw the pick six, but from where I saw it, it looked like. There was nobody completely in the area at all. It looked like it was a complete uh, either confusion on what, on the play call or the, the receiver ran, ran the wrong route because when he threw it, it looked like nobody was even in, even close, even in frame, as they say in the biz. Uh, so, you know, he's still a young quarterback. He made a, a he, he had some playing time last year, uh, you know, going against Emory Jones for that quarterback position. But... Anthony Richardson will be the difference maker in every Florida game. It depends on how well he plays because uh, he has the athletic ability. He has everything that you need in a quarterback. But Kentucky came to play. They, they, they responded to every bad situation that was thrown to them. Um, are they deserving of a top 10 uh, ranking? In my opinion, no. Um, certainly top 15. And uh, I'm excited to see what they do this year. Big Blue Nation all the way. Yeah, Mark Stoops has really built something in Lexington, Kentucky. They're now number 10 team. I, I mean, it's fair to say, right, that they've overtaken Florida in the SEC East. Uh, I mean, they, they've won back-to-back games over Florida for the first time since 76-77. Um, you know, that, that that win in the swamp is huge. Because wasn't it until a few years ago they hadn't beaten Florida? What was it, like over 30 years? Yeah, it was uh, 31 or something like that. It was something nuts. Uh there was they were selling shirts in Lexington saying nobody after they won uh, a couple of years ago. It says nobody, and I mean nobody beats Kentucky 32 years in a row. So uh, it, it was a uh, it was an exciting time for them. And and yeah, someone needs to give credit to Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops, another name that's getting floating around to, to Nebraska. Um, but he is probably the most underrated coach in all of college football. Um, he has those troops ready to go each and every week. Uh, but you said over, you said just overtake Florida in the SEC East. Obviously, they're not overtaking Georgia. Right. Um, we'll see how they do against Tennessee. I mean, second best in the East? Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, it's that, that ladder that, that Stoops is climbing because when he took that job, he was probably, what, fourth or fifth in the East and slowly climbing the, the rings. Um, I mean, let's talk about it. Is that an overreaction to say Kentucky now maybe the number two team to beat in the SEC East and they'll get a run at Georgia again this year? And then I know Tennessee in there as well. But I would say now you have to say they've overtaken Florida, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Kentucky is definitely a contender, right? I mean, you show that they had the skills to do it when they didn't play their best football, right? I mean, I watched the game from kickoff to when the clocks hit zero, and there was nothing in that game that screamed better football team. It was almost... Like, the way the game went, Kentucky almost had control when they weren't playing their best. Florida this showed a lot of lack of discipline almost. They showed almost too much trust in AR-15. And when he's not playing well, what else do they have to offer, right? So to answer your kind of question, yeah, I think Kentucky is at the top of that East, obviously behind the number one in Georgia. And I think that um, game against the Vols is really going to determine kind of who is that um that that dog behind Georgia, right? So 
I think Kentucky is definitely one of those programs that's almost kind of the up and coming, right? Maybe that second SEC team to kind of make throw into the New York New York Six conversation. Um, so yeah, it would definitely be interesting to see where Stoops takes the um, Wildcats this season. And to your point, you know, other than Anthony Richardson, what does Florida have to offer? Once again, Kentucky ran through the teeth of Florida. Um, when they needed, especially at the end of the game, where they, they needed to run out the clock, they did. And there wasn't any question about it. When they needed two or three yards, they got seven. Um, so uh, props to that Kentucky offensive line. Um, Florida really needs to uh, figure out their defensive line, especially in the run game. Um, because in their first two games, it has looked atrocious, really atrocious. And maybe we need to get Luke Hazen on here to uh, <laughs> defend defend the, the UF name. But uh, Billy Napier, um, the, offense, the offense is looking good uh, for the most part. Um, obviously, Anthony Rich needs to clean up some things, but uh, the defense needs to step it up 100%. My, but the final thing we'll say about this before we move on that I would say about Florida is when you have a new coach – and their first two games with that new coach is versus the number seven team and the number twenty team, and you come out on the other side one and one and in the top twenty five. I think you have to take that. I mean, Marcus Freeman we'll talk about with Notre Dame. He's zero and two in his first two games uh, with his new team. So things could always be worse. I think Florida will be around, but as we talked about, the SEC East for the first time in a really long time is like really spicy, top to bottom. Let's go to Aggieland and Jimbo Fisher. Texas A&M loses 17-14 to Appalachian State. Uh, Texas A&M gained only 186 yards versus a defense that allowed 63 points and almost 600 yards to UNC a week ago. A&M only put up seven offensive points. The other seven were on a kickoff return. So Jimbo Fisher, the offensive mastermind, the, the head coach that calls the plays, does it all, puts up seven points at home against Appalachian State. App State held the ball for... 41 and a half minutes so a&m had it for about 18 so all kinds of stuff going on with there uh digging into jimbo fisher now uh he was 10 and 0 versus non-power five schools going into that one so his first loss by the way the aggies were favored in his career by, at texas at a&m. a&m okay uh, a&m was favored by 18 going into the game uh, a note texas a&m they had what in the offseason, they were saying A&M had one of the best recruiting classes ever. On their roster, they have 56, 4, and 5-star combined. App State has one. And Jimbo makes $9 million a year. Sean Clark, the head coach of App State, makes 425000 a year. And the last thing I'll say about Jimbo Fisher, let's compare him to the coach that came before him um, down there, Kevin Sumlin. Sumlin has a better record in the first 50 games, respectively, than Fisher does. Sumlin won 36 of his first 50, Jimbo 35 of his first 50. Sumlin has more ranked wins, 9-7. to seven. Sumlin has more ranked road wins, 5-0. to zero. The only thing that Jimbo can edge him out on is losses to Group 5 teams. He has one. Sumlin had none in his first 50. So I know in Tallahassee we are not so much a fan of Jimbo Fisher. I know some people in my immediate circle are happy to see that, that he's not doing so well. Uh, I think A&M is maybe losing favor in the SEC West. We'll see if they're not able to get it turned around. The, the, the biggest thing to me, Appalachian State, horrible defense. He scores seven points on offense all game. He's still in his pros game presser, not really wanting to give up play calling duties. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, I can't believe I'm about to defend Jimbo Fisher, but, uh, Someone was Texas A&M in the SEC in the beginning of someone's career at Texas A&M. They joined in 2012, so maybe, maybe not. Okay, I mean that that changes their record a little bit. I I will say, I mean, despite this loss, I think we can all agree though that Texas A&M is a better team, just across the board, than when Kevin Kevin Sumlin had a couple good years. He had Johnny Menzel, um, when they won 10 or 11 games that year and they beat Bama, but. I, I, I still think Jimbo Fisher is obviously he's the guy there. I, I think they have been a better team um, since he's arrived there. I think they've had more of a national prominence since he's gotten there. Um, and you talk about the recruiting class coming in. It takes a little bit for those guys to, to get some reps and start playing. Uh, just because you have a good recruiting class doesn't mean the next year you're you know going to win a natty. So um, you give that recruiting class some time. Um, I don't think they're beating Bama this year, that's for sure. Yeah, no, uh, Saban wants blood this year. Yeah, and 
we could see the, the Alabama Crimson Tide running circles down there, and I believe it's in Alabama this year. Yeah, because they won, they beat, they beat Bama at home last year. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I can't believe I just defended Jimbo Fisher on, on this radio station. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, Ethan. Yeah, so I, I put up a quick little interesting stat right here. I was looking through Texas A&M's previous, um, you know, beginning of the season, and in their 2017 season, they beat Nickel State 24-14. to um, In 2021, they only beat a Colorado team by three. So there's been previous instances where a team loaded like A&M has started off their season rocky. Because um, like you were saying earlier, they're much – better than Abstate. They're bigger, faster, stronger, right? Um, so it'll be definitely be interesting to see how A&M reacts. I think, honestly, that's going to be what determines their season. Because this loss in the past, the, obviously they, um, everyone's upset, but how do they react and how do they come out to play this weekend against Miami, who is off to a um, off to a decent start with Mario Cristobal down there. So that'll be interesting to see for sure. And after that, it doesn't get much easier for him against Arkansas at home, and then Mississippi State and Starkville, and then Bama down in Tuscaloosa on the 8th of October. So definitely a big month up here for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. Just for clarity, and then we'll move on, uh, Kevin Sumlin in College Station, he was in an A&M from 2012 to 2017. So his first year there was also their first year in the SEC. Um, and, and so that those that comparison does. All right, there's parity then, absolutely. Check out somewhat. Um, so is A&M not getting what they're paying for? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. $9 million a year, that's pretty pricey. And I know we talked about this in the offseason. That was going to be an issue with these collective funds for NIL money when boosters and all these people are essentially buying players. And I know that you know, no one wants to look at it that way. But if the results aren't there on the field, there's going to be trouble. I'm just saying there, there could be something there in College Station. We'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, I think they're in for another t- a couple tough games, as Ethan was saying. Closing out the, the Sun Belt upsets. They had a weekend. They go to uh, uh, d- does Marshall, the Thundering Herd. They go to South Bend, Indiana, and beat Notre Dame 26-21. Notre Dame was three-touchdown favorite. In this game, Marcus Freeman now 0-2 as head coach. They hung around with Ohio State in Week 1 and now lose to Marshall at home. Uh, former FSU running back Kalen Laborn, the transfer for Marshall, 31 carries, 163 yards, and a touchdown. So shout-out to him making some noise over there in West Virginia. <sighs> Notre Dame, we were talking about it. It was going to be tough for them after that Ohio State loss, but now obviously 0-2 and, and a loss to, to a team like Marshall. They are donezo. Their starting quarterback is out for the year, and uh, – off to a rough start, to say the least, for Notre Dame. And as Florida State fans and Florida fans are seeing, uh, new coaches, it takes time. It, it, I think it really need, fans really need to see that it's an anomaly when a coach takes a team off to a really hot start in his first year. That it is an anomaly, and most people don't realize that. I think... Um, you know, Lincoln Riley, he's bringing in a lot of people. He's bringing yeah. in the Jimmys and Joes, so who knows what he's going to do there. Mario Cristobal, he had a pretty – I mean, Miami wasn't a terrible team last year. They weren't great. Um, so we'll see what Miami does. I think Miami's going to be overranked. Um, so who knows what, what goes on with Texas A&M and Miami this weekend. But uh, new coaches, it takes time. It takes time. It takes time to build a culture. It takes time to install an offense and install a new defense and install new special teams. It takes time, and culture is the biggest one out of all four of those. It takes time. Well, that's what I was about to say is that culture is the biggest thing, and you look back at how Notre Dame ended its last season, I would not say that Brian Kelly left South Bend on the best of terms. You know, you remember hearing the rumors about how he just kind of got up and left, didn't really address the team a whole lot, and Marcus Freeman comes in there, and he, you know, what's he kind of working with over there, right? What does he have to build off of? What does he have to kind of portray to the players to – get him to buy in and I think that's his biggest thing what if he can get those players to feel like a champion today to buy into that Notre Dame program then he may start to see a result but until then coming off an 0-2 start to the season he's gonna need to have something to buy in for so let's see how many chips are in his uh, side Per front office sports, this is about the Sun Belt. Notre Dame, Texas A&M, and Nebraska paid a combined $4.2 million to play home games against Marshall, Appalachian State, and, and Georgia Southern, respectively. 
and all three of those big-name schools paid a lot of money to lose those games. So big week for the Sun Belt. None of those teams are ranked, unfortunately. I think maybe one of those teams, if they go undefeated, can make a run. Uh, maybe New Year's Six Bowl or whatever. We'll see. But five minutes left in the show. I do want to hit some professional football. We've got uh, representatives in this room of all three Florida teams. So let's start there. A couple of Dolphins fans, they get a big win at home in week one over the Patriots by a score of 20-7. to Tyreek Hill getting involved. Mac Jones gets hurt. Doesn't look very good. And, and who could have seen this coming? A team without an offensive coordinator was going to struggle on offense? Wow. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I missed the first half. I was driving back from Gainesville. But I was listening on the radio, and you know I'm, I'm listening to a Miami broadcast, so I might be a little biased in, in this opinion here. But um, after that first quarter, when New England uh, turned the ball over uh, in Miami territory, it, it sounded like, and it, and it from what I saw in the second half, Miami just controlled the game the entire way through, um, especially in that second half. So uh, you know, Tua looked a little shaky at times, but he got the job done. Um, Tyreek Hill is not just a long ball threat. You, you go back and you watch Kansas City games. He is so good when they need that, that short yard end around. Uh, and so he can be utilized in so many different ways than just the long ball. Tua, he can throw the long ball. He, maybe he's not throwing it uh, 80 yards like, like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. But if you need him on, on a 55, 60-yard bomb, he can get that for you. Um, so... Yes, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's Shocker. not Josh Allen. Surprise. <laughs> but uh, with these tools around him, I, I think they are, it's early, they are a lock at least for second in the East. Uh, I thought the Dolphins looked like a very well-rounded team yesterday. Josh Boyer's defense really picked up where Brian Flores left off. They had a lot of uh, exotic blitz packages that really kind of freaked out Mac Jones. And like he said, no offensive coordinator. Who could have seen that coming? Apparently the sports pundits didn't because like half of them picked the <laughs> Patriots just by virtue of being coached by Bill Belichick. But I digress. Um, Tua did look a little shaky. He missed some wide-open throws. But uh, McDaniel's offense definitely looked better than whatever the heck Flores was pumping out last yeah, year. Yeah, how about McDaniel in his first game as an NFL head coach? Like Tyreek said, he's going to need a wheelbarrow for those cojones because that touchdown play to Jalen Waddle right before halftime, that was big. <laughs> yes, it was. And that, you know, and he's a yard after catch machine, just like Tyreek Hill, and it worked out pretty well for them in game one. So hopefully the returns only improve from here. The Finns are 1-0. Ethan, let's talk about the Jaguars. They go to Washington and fall to the Commanders 28-22. It was a close game back and forth, but the Jags not able to come out with the win. Yeah, I was like I said, diehard Jags fan. It hurts to see it. I mean, that was about as close of a football game as we've been in. In a while, last uh, y'all last were close, close. Y'all were close, 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 close. But I was like, uh, last yesterday we had three turnovers. Um, our defense had three turnovers against the Commanders, and last season we had all of eight. So that's a good start there. Um, in terms of how we look at the team, I think our offensive line needs to um, bond a little bit. They need to get to close that middle gap because there's people going left and right up the center all afternoon long. Um, as good as Trevor Lawrence looked um, a little bit shaky I think he showed a lot of flashes of good football but when it came down to it he missed a wide open ETN in the first quarter which would have been a touchdown ETN had a drop off of a little um, flat route that would have been a touchdown and then he missed a guy deep that could have been a big touchdown so right there you're looking at 14 to 21 points that are off the board and one of those gets the gets the uh, the job done. So I think we have a lot of good things to look forward to. It's uh, good feelings down in Duval, and um, we got a big divisional game for first place this weekend against the Colts back of the bank. There you go. Colts tie in week one with the Texans. The Bucks, The Buccaneers going to Dallas on Sunday night, win 19-3 against the Cowboys. Dak Prescott gets hurt late in that one. Uh, I think the Bucks. they have everything. I know the offensive line is hurt, but they've got the power running game. They've got some big receivers who can go up and get the ball. Julio Jones had a nice debut. Mike Evans doing what he does. And as, as we close out the show, we're going to introduce a segment, the Gene Deckerhoff Call of the Week, his final year as a broadcaster calling play-by-play uh, -play for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So without further ado, here is the voice of Gene Deckerhoff. 
Here's ball at the five-yard line. This drive began back at the 21. Dropping three-step drop. Throws on the end zone. Caught ball. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Mike Evans reaches up with one hand and grabs it in. That was Gene Dakaroff, and again, courtesy of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Radio Network, and Bucks win 19-3. So that'll round us out for the show today. For myself, William Haynes, co-host Jackson Bakich, Ethan Salzberg, Ian Hughes, Jack Oliaro, our producer with Seminole Segment. Special thanks again to Spencer Laws of the Louisville Cardinal for coming on the show as well. This has been Tomahawk Talk. New releases next. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.